Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to our worship teams everywhere. Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible, it's pretty much the first page in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, thank you for being here at Rock Spring, watching online our Rossville campus, Dalton campus, wherever you are, thank you for joining in with us today. Genesis chapter 1, I started a sermon series uh, before I went on vacation this past week called In the Beginning. If we look at what happened in the beginning, it gives us insight on today and even on our future. So that first sermon I preached was uh, Genesis 1-1, really half that verse, in the beginning, God. What I want to do today is preach the rest of chapter 1, and I want to preach this subject, how we got here, how we got here. And I'll be honest, I will, I will struggle with this a little bit today because this is part Bible study and part sermon. And so I kind of find myself in between uh, speaking modes today, so to speak. And so uh, I'd love it if you paid close attention just to help me out. Because how we got here matters, right? Your belief on how we got here matters. That's not an unimportant question. As a matter of fact, it will frame your whole purpose and existence in life. What you believe about how we got here will determine what kind of purpose you have in life and what kind of existence you have in life. And so we just can't say, well, preacher, I'm here. That's all that matters. No, it does matter how you got here. So what does the Bible say versus what the world says? And that's what I want to lean into a little bit today. As a matter of fact, if you ask the average person, how do we get here? What are the origins of human beings? You'll notice three graphs from, uh, the, from about 1980. You can't see this, I know, but I, you can visually get a representation of it. That gray line at the top are the percent that believe God created humans in their present form. And you'll notice it's just kind of a downward trend. The green line are those that believe humans evolved, but God guided the evolution. And then the bottom line are those that believe humans evolved and there was no God that was part of the process. The interesting thing is you're starting to see these trend downward, but this is trending upward. It's double and almost triple those who believe in evolution and God had no part in creation at all, or there is no God. It's double and almost triple since 1980. So when you ask the average person, how do we get here? More and more, they're going to point towards evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Now, there are those that would say that Christianity and evolution can coexist, but I'm going to tell you this morning, hear me, that is impossible for them to coexist. Both cannot be true, and a watered-down version of Genesis chapter 1 that's trying to reconcile itself with evolution and the Big Bang cannot be true. In reality, you cannot hang out in that middle ground. You're going to have to believe in one or the other. As a matter of fact, I would say this. 
if you believe in evolution, then you believe the Bible isn't truthful concerning the creation account in Genesis. That's just the bottom line. If you believe in evolution, I'll be honest, there's some that would read a gap, it's called the gap theory, in between verse 1 and verse 2, and I don't think that exists at all. I think it's what we call eisegesis. Eisegesis is where you read into the text a meaning that is not stated. Exegesis is when you pull out of the text the meaning that exists there. And to believe in the gap theory, you've got to read in billions of years that are not mentioned between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And I'll tell you grammatically in just a moment why that is not even possible. But Genesis, if you believe in evolution, you believe that the Bible is not telling us the truth in Genesis chapter 1. Now, let me tell you what I believe. I, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. It was dictated to him by God. I believe that uh, creation account have been passed down orally up until that time, and then God had him pen it exactly the way it happened, and I believe exactly as it stated in Genesis chapter 1. But if you can't believe the Bible, number two, if you can't believe the Bible in creation, you, you're not going to be able to trust it on anything else either. You say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't believe Genesis 1, but I believe other parts of the Bible. You can't. You can't discount the first words in your Bible and then go on to say, I believe the rest of it. Number three, if I can't trust the Bible about creation, how do I know what it says about heaven, hell, eternity, and salvation are true? Like you, you say, well, well, I, I don't believe all that, but I mean, I, I believe, you know, I, I believe the rest of it's true. Well, how, how is it that we can discount the first chapter, the first words, the first sentence of creation, but yet I'm going to believe in the rest of it. And by the way, the first sentence in Genesis 1 is not Genesis 1-1 in the Hebrew. It's Genesis 1-1 through 5 in the Hebrew. So when you read Genesis 1-1 through 5, that is one sentence in the Hebrew. And so God is tying all of that together. It all comes together. Denying the Genesis account of creation creates all sorts of difficulties for our faith. I would even say this, the issue is not whether a person can be a Christian and believe in evolution, but what that person has to abandon theologically and biblically in order to hold to a belief in evolution. Because I want to be honest, if you're going to believe in evolutionary, the evolutionary process, you're going to have to deny this Bible and you're going to have to deny even the words of Jesus. Because there's only, there's only two ways to go about this. Uh, number one, Jesus and the age of the universe. I'm going to show you a Bible verse in just a moment. But Jesus said from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The timeline, according to Christ, was the beginning of creation. And some 4,000 years later, Christ was on the scene. And now it's been about 6,000 years since the beginning of creation. So I am what's called a young earth creationist. I, I believe that the earth is still young, 6,000 years old. And um, uh, in, in week one, Adam and Eve were created, day six. Well, for evolution, the timeline for evolution is about 15 billion years. 13.8 billion years ago is where they put it. And they believed about 15 billion years ago, there was the big bang and that was the beginning and Adam and Eve didn't come to way over here, billions and billions of years later. Those two things are not reconcilable. 6,000 years ago and 15 billion years ago are not reconcilable. You say, well, preacher, I don't really believe, you know, I don't really believe in a literal creation, Genesis 1, but I believe God did it. Well, here, here's going to be the problem. 
A lot of people like to say, well, I think that's allegorical in Genesis chapter one, but preacher, I believe all the words in red in the Bible. Well, if you're going to believe all the words in red, let me show you some words in red. Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, but from the beginning of creation, literally the origin of creation, God made them male and female. So here's what Jesus believed. If you want to believe the words in red, Jesus believed that in the very beginning, God made male and female. Evolutionary, evolutionists teach that the very beginning was 15 billion years ago, and it wasn't just a few hundred thousand years ago that man came on the scene. But Jesus believed, words in red in your Bible, that the very beginning, God made male and female. Now, why could Jesus say this? Because Jesus believed and knew, not believed, he knew, he did it, that the earth was only 6,000 years old. 4,000 at the time he said it. And so the Bible doesn't apologize for the creation account. And so if I go back to Mark chapter 10, about if Jesus is wrong here, how do I know he's not wrong other places as well? I cannot reconcile evolution and creation and try to morph them together or believe in both and still hold to the words of Jesus. And so the Bible never apologizes for its creation account of origin. And I would say to you this morning that it is the foundation of our faith that if you do not believe in Genesis chapter 1, what in the world makes you think you can believe in anything else in the Bible? Somebody say amen. So let's read Genesis chapter 1. Stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it. If you don't have your Bible, wherever you may be, home or in a building somewhere, it'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, and um, I'm going to sum up the whole chapter with a few points. In the beginning, verse 1, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day, or day one. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the water, separating from the water. So God made the expanse and separated the water from under the expanse, from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, day two, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 13, evening came, and then the morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons, for days and years. They will be, there, they will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day, verse 20. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures 
every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man our own image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire planet and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do today. I want to make four statements about the creation account that I think are necessary for us this morning. And I'm not going to exhaust it. I can't exhaust Genesis chapter one in one message, but I want to make four statements about creation. I'm going to tell you three things we need to do about it. So if you're good at math, that's seven points I have this morning, but they are going to go quickly. Number one, let me say this about creation and how we got here. Number one, before there was something, there was nothing. Before there was something, there was nothing. They say, preacher, what in the world kind of point is that? Here's what I want you to understand this morning, that God did not make the universe from pre-existing building blocks. He started from scratch. Scholars take this to mean that the universe came into existence by divine command. It was not assembled from pre-existing matter or energy. Things that are visible do not owe their existence to anything that is invisible or visible today. Humans, we can be creative, but what we cannot do is create ex nihilo or meaning from out of nothing. Strictly speaking, only God can do that. God is not constrained. It is difficult to comprehend because for us, the fundamental law of physics says we cannot create this way. As a matter of fact, the fundamental law of physics, the first law of science, you had it in high school physics class or in a college physics class. You learned the first law of science. It states this, that the, that matter, the stuff the universe is made of, matter cannot be created or destroyed you can't get rid of matter you can't create matter matter can only be synthesized or converted you can convert it from solid to liquid to gas to plasma and back again you can you can uh, synthesize it so that it looks different but you cannot create matter and you cannot destroy matter. However, in Genesis 1-1, the God of the universe stepped into nothing, started with nothing, and out of nothing came something. Only God can do that. The problem with evolutionists they've always had is what do they start with, right? 
because they, they can never take us all the way back to nothing. Now, now I, I, I don't want to, look, I don't want to lose you this morning, wherever you are, you're watching at home, sitting on the couch, blowing your nose because you're sick. Listen to me. Hang on, all right? Hang on. Wherever you are, hang on to me. I'm going to just get in a little bit of science here, and I'm going to try to, uh, well, actually, it's, it's bogus science, but I'm going to get into it, all right? You need to know this. Now, according to Big Bang Theory, here, I, this is the simplification, the best I, I can do uh, of the Big Bang Theory, uh, which was created about 1927, first populated, postulated about 1927, and we've just hung with it ever since then. According to them, singularity began about 13.8 billion years ago. According to the Big Bang Theory, the universe began as a singularity. What is that? An extremely hot and dense point in space. Number two, they believe inflation happened. Now, inflation is not the price of milk and eggs going up. Inflation is when the universe, think of it this way, inflated. And they believe within, I think it's three trillionths of a second, that the universe went from a singularity to expanding to be, being billions of light years across in diameter width, however you want to say it. Now, let me just stop and say this. I'm not going to get into a lot of this because I'm not smart enough to do it, but here's, does anybody know, can anybody tell me what is supposed to be the fastest thing in the universe? Does anybody know? Speed of light. Speed of light. Thank you. And how fast is it? Fast. That's right. Very fast. (laughs) About as fast as the Florida running back last night in that football game, right? Fast, fast. (laughs) Last, 186,000 miles per second. But we measure the universe in billions of light years across. Well, if light is the fastest thing possible in the universe, and scientists tell you that, they tell you that in physics class, nothing is faster or can possibly be faster than light. Inflation defies their own laws of physics. Inflation, supposedly, the universe went from a singularity to billions of light years across in a fraction of a second, and it just can't be. Well, thirdly, they believe cooling and formation of basic forces happened. As the universe expanded, it cooled, and the fundamental forces, gravity, electromagnetism, and all that, began to separate from each other. Number four, they believe the formation of atoms happened. About 380,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe had cooled enough for the first atoms, mostly hydrogen and helium, to form. Now, that's important that you understand that, because number five, they think stars formed out of hydrogen and helium. Now, here's what they believe, that stars, uh, these hydrogen helium atoms uh, formed dense clouds because of gravity, which eventually collapsed to form the first stars. So they believe that uh, in the Big Bang, hydrogen came together and then collapsed and it formed a dense ball. And it collapsed. Well, the problem with that is hydrogen expands faster than any known gravitational force can pull it together. Again, to find their own laws of physics. Number six, the present universe has continued to expand and evolve over billions of years, leading to this big universe we have today. So I want to be honest, when you study the Big Bang Theory, whatever they needed to happen is what they said happened. It's like writing a good fiction novel. You've been reading a good fiction novel, and all of a sudden the good guy finds a gun somewhere that he can use. It just shows up. Oh, yeah, I forgot I put that there 12 years ago, and it's fully loaded, cotton ready to go. You say, well, that's cheating. Well, that's what evolutionists do. Well, we need the, in order for this theory to work, the universe has to be billions of light years across in less than a second. Let's just make it a billion light years across in less than a second. No science to back it up. Let's just say 
helium and hydrogen formed to make stars. No science to back it up. Science, and Lord, I'm waiting in the weeds here. I don't need to do all this. Science is nothing more than an observational process. You don't have science without observation. You know what the problem with the Big Bang Theory is? We didn't observe nothing. That's Northwest Georgia science talk right there. (laughs) We didn't observe nothing if it happened 15 billion years ago. But here's my big question. Here's my big question. The Big Bang Theory will take you all the way back to that singularity that was in space. You know what my question is? Where'd you get your space from? Where'd you get your singularity from? You say it was just there. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. I need to know where your singularity came from and where your space came from. It reminds me of the joke. Y'all heard that joke. Um, uh, You heard that joke that God and a scientist were talking and, you know, an evolutionary scientist and and the scientist looked at God and said, God, we don't need you anymore. We got this. Science has disproved everything about you and we can do whatever we need to do. And God said, really? He said, yeah. He said, we put man on the moon. We can clone things. We got this, God. Medical, we got it all. We don't need you anymore. And God said, okay, let's have a contest. Let's have a man-making contest. Let's make a man the way I made Adam and you make a man and then we'll see who's better at it. And the scientist said, great, we got the ability, we can clone people, we got it. And so God said, the only thing is I want us to do it the way I did it in the beginning. And he said, all right, sound good to me. So both are going to make a man. God reached down, took a scoop of dirt, and started forming man. The scientist reached down, took a scoop of dirt, and God said, "Uh uh-uh, you get your own dirt. Because where'd the dirt come from? Where did the singularity come from? Where did the heat come from? Where, where did the space come from? Where did that atom come from? They cannot reconcile any type of beginning. They'll take, here's what they're doing. They take you back 15 billion years and hope you just give up. They just hope that you think you're smarter, they're smarter than you are, and you don't try to figure out. But evolutionary scientists who will say, we believe in evolution and the Big Bang, still can't figure out where to get their dirt from. You cannot reconcile evolution and creation. They are not compatible in any shape, form, or fashion whatsoever. So number one, before there was something, there was nothing. God stepped into the nothing, and ex nihilo created something. Number two, he did it all in six days. I've got news for you this morning. The earth is not billions of years old. Again, I'm a young earth creationist. I believe it's been around about 6,000 years. There's a ton of scientific evidence for that. You go Google it yourself. Go on the Institution of Creation Research website. They've got all kinds of things on it there. You say, but what about all this information that tells us the world is about four and a half billion years old? Let me tell you a few things about that. First of all, the science is often suspect. Two different scientists test the same thing, get different answers on the same rock. Secondly, it's an assumption that the world wasn't created with age. But I think the world was created with age, right? How do I, why do I think the world was created with age? I think the world was created with age because Adam and Eve weren't babies. They weren't embryos. They were fully grown humans. And here's what I believe, that God created the world with age. It, when, when there was a giant tree on earth, I believe if you had sawed it down, it would have the appropriate number of rings on it that would, that would be its age if it were that big. 
God could create it with any kind of age he wanted to create it with. And scientists, listen, they want the age of the earth to be in the billions so they can discount the Bible and Genesis account of creation. But if you believe the Bible, if you believe in God, you've got no problem with God doing this in six days. As a matter of fact, here's, here's what we believe, what we just read in Genesis chapter 1. Right, day one, heaven and earth, day and night. We don't even know where the light came from in, in, in day one, but it was there. We just trust God. I don't have to have it all figured out. I, I, here's what I think. I, I, I don't know how anything works. I go in my house, flip on my light, and the electricity comes on, and I just thank God it comes on, right? I don't know how it gets there. I can't explain it to you. I do not understand it, but I'm thankful it's there. I feel like if God tried to explain to me how we created light, it might be over my head. You think it might be over yours? It may be over my head. I'm just going to trust him on that one. He is God. Day two, atmosphere. Day three, dry land and plant life. Day four, stars and heavenly bodies, sun and moon. Day five, all, the, all life in the water, birds, insects. Day six, all living creatures on dry land and man. And on day seven, he took a break. He was completed. That is the order of creation. And I believe it happened in six literal days. Why? The language of the text in Genesis 1 is six literal days. The word that is used, it's a cardinal number. The word used for day one means one day, one 24-hour day. doesn't mean one period of time. And you say, man, I don't have time to get all this. Y'all with me? Say amen or something. Y'all with me? Okay, you're not. But I'm going to do my best. Hang in there with me, all right? Hang in there. You say, well, here's what I believe. I believe this is representative of day one, and it may have taken a billion years, and this was representative of day two. Well, you can't believe that. You know why? According to um, the Big Bang Theory, the first thing that had to be created were stars, day four. Because according to the Big Bang, everything that exists today is created from stardust, basically. And it couldn't have been day four. It had to be day one period of time. Well, it's not, that's not how it works. God do it in any order he wants to do it in. And the entirety of creation was done in six days. You say, well, I don't believe in a God that could do it in six days. Then you don't believe in a God. I believe in a God that can do it in the snap of a finger if he wanted to. Number two, he did it all in six days. Number three, man is the pinnacle of God's creation. There's no creation like man. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Look, look at what he said. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created male and female. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the only ones that we're told we're made in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? I can give you at least three things. Number one, it means we're mentally in the image of God. Man alone can reason and choose, invent and make art. Number two, we're morally in the image of God. The, a moral compass is stamped on our hearts from God himself. Number three, we're socially in the image of God. God designed us for relationship with him and with others. We are not just one of the creatures of God. We are not just a, a, an animal. We are not a higher evolved form of animal. We're made in the image of God. We're not, listen, and here's what we're doing. We're telling kids in first grade, you're just a higher form of animal and then we're wondering why they act like animals 
It's because we've told them since sixth grade, first grade that they're nothing but an animal with no purpose in life, no reason to exist in life, and yet they grow up and they act on what we've allowed them to be taught in life. Man is the pinnacle of the creation of God. Leads me to point number four, and that is the earth serves us. We don't serve the earth. Let me show you two, two verses in, in, in Genesis uh, we read them, but let me show them. Then God said, let us make man our own image according to our likeness. They will rule. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature. The earth serves us. We don't serve the earth. Why, why is it important to say that? Because we live in a culture that tells us our job is to serve the creation. It's part of the end time process. Paul said, this is what's going to happen in the end days. They're going to get us to serve the creation more than the creator. Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. What, what did Paul say was going to happen? Paul said there's going to be a time when they demand that man serve the creation, not creation serve the man. Now hear me, I'm not against doing what we can do to protect the earth. It's part of being a good steward. However, you know what I'm not worried about? I am not worried about your hairspray destroying the ozone layer. I am not worried about your car uh, causing global warming. You say, don't you think we're afraid we're going to destroy the planet? Can I tell you something? I don't think we can destroy the planet. I think God made it and it will exist as long as he wants it to exist. Now, I'm not telling you to go throw your tin cans out your window on the way home. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you, your hairspray doesn't matter at all. That's what I'm telling you there. I said it. You okay? We may edit this out online, but I said it. I said it. The earth serves us. We don't serve the earth. What does all this mean? What, what does all this mean? Can I give you three things? I'm going to give it to you in a hurry. Number one, here's what this means. This means we serve an awesome God. That's what it means. The God who made all of this is our God. Again, we don't serve a souped-up superhero who's been bitten by a spider wearing a nine suit or is really strong because he's been exposed to radiation. We are serving the creator God, the only creator God. And I want to tell you, that ought to affect your prayer life a little bit because we go to God and we're like, God, i got a big problem for you if you can handle it. If he can handle it, we're only here because of him. This only exists because of him. We don't have a problem here. He can't solve. It'll affect your worship life a little bit. Hey, instead of coming into church service with your hands in your pockets, we ought to come in a little bit excited that this creator God is also my savior God as well. We serve an awesome God. Number two, it tells me this. He wants a relationship with you, with you. God created everything he created so you could have, we see it, in, I'm going to talk about it next week. We, we have a relationship with an almighty God. He created us for a relationship and God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to number one, know that you're saved. And you say, well, preacher, I know I believe in God and all that. I believe in Genesis one and I'm trying my best to be a good person. Hear me, being a good person will send you to hell. 
Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven and unsaved people die and go to hell. Can I tell you, you're going to be shocked at who's in both places. God wants a relationship with you. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with an almighty God who created the universe, watched man mess it up, and then fixed it for man and said, all you got to do is trust in what I've already done to fix it. By the way, if you're a Christian, that means he wants a relationship with you as well. That means he wants you to have a daily, the creator God of the universe, the same one that flung the stars billions of light years away, wants a relationship with you every single day of your life. Number three, it tells me this, that he deserves our all. This creator God of Genesis 1 deserves our all. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 1, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Paul would look out. He's already talked about it in Romans chapter 1. Paul looks out at all of creation and said, that's the God I serve. How could I not give him everything? It's that same God he said in Philippians 2. So the name of Jesus, by the way, who was the creator, it was Jesus. The Bible tells us all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He deserves our all. Would you stand with me around the room, heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message and um, knowing where we come from. And I love that verse, Genesis one twenty seven that says, we were made in the image of God. We're special. We're different from any other uh, part of God's creation. And because of that, he loves us differently than he loves any part of his creation and he wants a relationship with us. God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us and we need to serve him with all that we are and we need a relationship with him first. And maybe you've never started that relationship. As Pastor Joel continues in this series, we're going to see where his sin came from and I'll go ahead and tell you, it started in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, we've all been born with a sin nature. God loved us, and He wanted a relationship with us, and He wasn't willing to uh, be satisfied with the separation created by our sin. And so He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus took all of our sin on Himself on the cross, and He paid the price so that you and I can have a way to once again have fellowship with God the Father. Maybe you're watching this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. It begins with you understanding and being willing to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. You've got to believe the gospel message that Jesus died, he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again. you got to believe that. And then you have to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And maybe God has spoken to your heart and you need to start that relationship this morning. In the quietness of this moment, right where you are, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in the gospel message that you sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin. And Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we want to say welcome to the family. Hey, 
According to scripture, there's a party in heaven because of the decision you just made, and we want to celebrate that with you too. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we've just dropped a, 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 a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. Give us just a little bit of information. I personally am going to connect with you this week to help you take next steps. Hey, it's been awesome to worship together. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.